0: The stories. I, I, I did the stories and I did the illustrations. Sometimes they would send us scripts, but I'd throw them out the window. I happen to be a guy who does what he wants, lives the way he wants to. I love people in general, even the villains in my comics. To me, a people there is something in their lives that makes them become a problem to others. That's how I saw everything. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we continue Jack Kirby Month here on Kirby's Kids. Today's review will be Red Raven, Volume 1, Number 1 from August of 1940. This was the work of editor-in-chief Joe Simon, providing the cover art would be a collaboration between Jack Kirby and Joe Simon depicting the Red Raven. The lead story would be the origin of the Red Raven. That was written by Joe Simon. However, Jack and Joe collaborated on the story arc and origins and development of this character because it was their brainstorming and wanting to develop a character for timely comics that could compete with Superman. Sadly, they weren't that successful in this particular endeavor as Red Raven, Volume 1, Number 1, would never have a second issue. The Penciler, for this particular story, the origin of the Red Raven would be Luis Casvenu, who is an Argentinian artist. And he provided the visual imprint of what that Red Raven character would look like from panel to panel. Jack in this issue would provide two other stories where his talents would shine. The first was Mercury in the 20th century. That was written by Martin A. Bernstein. However, the penciling, inking, and lettering was all done by Jack Kirby. Jack would also provide a story to this issue, and that would be the Race to Jupiter. Now, that title is what that story has been called by those who are followers of Kirby's comics. The actual title chosen by the team at the time publishing this was Comet Pierce by Jack Kirby. Jack did the story as well as the penciling, the inking, and the lettering of Comet Pierce. Let's first delve into the origin of the Red Raven. Although Jack is not credited with the writing, he did provide the assist on the cover of this issue. And in the developing of this character, it would have long-lasting consequences for Marvel and their brand. This being a timely comic, as timely would then evolve into Marvel, you would have the emergence of characters over time who could relate back to the Red. Raven. It has been suggested that the Red Raven's bird people that the Red Raven got to know and was raised by were actually the first examples of inhumans. These sky people, these bird peoples, effectively being the Atlantean equivalent, but up in the clouds. The other story in here, these two other stories that Jack actually has a part of, are very interesting too. Because they would expand or relate to the mythos that would be developed over time. Now, this one relates to a Jack Kirby created characters that wouldn't come out into the 70s. That tie being the Mercury story has been identified as the activities of the eternal Macquarie or Mercury. And that Pluto in that story on Mercury is the story really of the Deviant Crow. So technically, this may count as the earliest known appearance of the Eternals here in this comic, which is pretty mind-blowing for the time, for that story, Mercury in the 20th century, to be the foreshadowing of the Eternals. What's also notable about that Mercury in the 20th century being penciled by Jack Kirby, it is the earliest known art credit that Jack has at Timely Comics. That's what makes this also a groundbreaking work. Although Jack Kirby and Joe Simon may not have touted Red Raven as being this rousing success or a breakthrough within the comic book industry because they essentially failed at their attempt to get a viable challenger to go up against the popularity of Superman, it did have many firsts and would eventually help grow out the Marvel character over time. What's crazy about, in particular, Red Raven is that Red Raven would get embraced by other comics creators within Marvel. In 1942, Bucky forms the Liberty Legion with Red Raven. So now Red Raven comes back into comics with Bucky from Captain America doing the Liberty Legion, and they would go ahead and battle foes such as Red Skull and Iron Cross, and Red Raven would continue that affiliation. And then, disillusioned by war, Red Raven returned to Sky Island, where Red Raven was raised and discovered that the bird people plan to conquer human civilization. Red Raven follows their plot. There's also deep speculation that the island here, that the bird people were on ultimately ended up getting placed in a suspended animation and sank their island to the bottom of the ocean which essentially set a timer to return them to the surface and reawaken after several years when the island eventually resurfaced near the end of the suspended animation cycle the superhero angel of the x-men stumbled upon the island and you now you had angel and Red Raven clashing. And this would just go on and on and on with this Red Raven character. So just when you think that this was one of those one-shot deals that, well, okay, it was a nice try and it and it didn't bear fruit. Well, doggone it, Red Raven keeps coming back. And... Then you had the addition of the Dania character. Dania happens to be Red Raven's daughter. This would spawn yet a whole other track of Red Raven lineage. Red Raven eventually reappeared and revealed that he had faked his own death at one point, and the defenders are later brought to Red Raven's Sky Island. So there's incorporation there. Red Raven is attacked by an army of disfigured bird people. He's captured by Medusa. There's all sorts of things that happen here with him. And his daughter, who is a bird person, is hatched on the Sky Island and she has her own track within the marvel pantheon she's in the civil war storyline she's part of a marvel now event and avengers arena so it's just absolutely crazy how this character has had life after life after life and that's not even to mention the red furred raven or red raven in the wild west redford raven who's a bank robber and has led his own gang into a series of robberies and the run foul by the rawhide kid. So there's even that kind of drop there and, and allusions too. It's it's absolutely crazy how this Red Raven character, again, has been mined many a time. So let's get into our stories here. The Red Raven origin story, in particular, was interesting origin story. Essentially... Years ago, a commercial airplane crashes into a floating home of an avian bird people, and there's a lone survivor, and it's a little baby boy. On there, the baby boy grows up to be a man, and is called the Red Raven by the avian bird people. He is provided with wings. These wings would be kind of mechanical appendages, membranes, they refer to them in the comics, that would provide him the ability to fly along with giving him some levitation to go along with that. Red Raven would adopt a civilian guise and return to Earth, begin to observe the social state of play large unemployment rate basically this is joe simon reflecting the times he would be looking and seeing what was happening with respect to people being out of work he would be in an unemployment line trying to get work and benefits he would run afoul of a criminal mastermind who is ultimately responsible for the unemployment by means of affecting the economy. This mastermind is named Zelmo, Z-E-E-L-M-O. Noting man's superior strength, he would send his minions to go get Red Raven, Because Red Raven revealed how strong he was by fighting off some folks in this benefits line. And he's brought back to Zelmo. Zelmo shows his obsession with gold and asks Red Raven to join him in stealing gold. Essentially, Zelmo is trying to steal as much gold as he possibly can to disrupt the economy. Red Raven refuses. He attacks Zelmo, who has Raven and a female prisoner dumped into a pit. Ultimately, Red Raven escapes and in the ensuing fight, Red Raven tosses Zelmo into his own pit and escapes with the female. Leaving that female in the safety of the city, flies back with his Red Raven to his home and asks the avian king if he can track down the remaining stolen gold that Zelmo took. Having the bird people scientists inventing a gold tracking device. He gets the device, he goes out there, he tries to get it. Well, apparently, Zelmo has a successor called Rotoga. Rotoga sets a trap and captures Red Raven. Tosses Red Raven into a vibrato machine, he's tossed around, and then Red Raven is able to fight that off, and he spins so fast that he is not crushed, but he's able to escape. He levitates off the ground, and when the crooks open the machine, he attacks him. uses the device and then causes the gold to collapse on top of all the crooks by changing the settings of this gold detector to a gold attractor, and all this gold comes flying in. So that is essentially the story here, with the ending being... The criminals are eliminated. The Red Raven leads authorities to the cash of gold, ending the financial depression. So it is definitely a Depression-era appeals type of comic and story, and one very interestingly done by Joe Simon. And you can tell that there are tastes and feels, perhaps, of Jack Kirby and his modest upbringing that were infused into the story or helped influence Joe Simon. Now, let's move on to the two stories that Jack was heavily involved with first being Mercury in the 20th Century. This Mercury in the 20th Century story was by Martin Bernstein, but completely drawn by Jack, as well as lettered and inked. As war rages on Earth, on Olympus, Zeus believes that a war is the work of Pluto. Deciding that Earth needs a defender to protect the planet and to stop the war, he sends Mercury down to track down and stop Pluto. Examining the chaos in the world below, Mercury manages to find Pluto, who's posing as a warmongering dictator of Prusland. Now, what's interesting about this Prusland is this character looks like the devil and is very clearly made to mimic Hitler. So we're looking at 1940. This comes out in August of 1940. America's not quite in the war yet, but you can see where this particular story is posturing. Confronting Pluto in his office, Mercury seeks to stop his insane cousin, who is taking pleasure in human casualties caused in the conflict. Mercury tries to strangle Pluto, but he calls for his guards, forcing the hero to flee. Mercury decides to start attacking Prussland's army, using his superior speed to wreak havoc on the military operations and steal military plans and secrets. Pluto eventually sends his agent Thea Shulhasen to deal with Mercury as his operations have called a halt to the conflict. With Thea Shulhasen and her minions attempt to gun Mercury down, Mercury proves immune to the bullets and tells the agent that peace is on the march. As Mercury returns to Olympus, he sees that the armies, unable to fight, have begun talking to one another and are fast becoming allies, thus foiling Pluto's plans. So essentially through getting to know one another Those on the battlefield ultimately end up becoming friends. So that's a very interesting story. This one has a great, great amount of very cool illustrations to it. You can tell where Jack Kirby was leaning heavy into his love for mythology, particularly classic Greek and Roman mythology. He has loved mythology and science fiction all throughout his career, those loves come in here very, very clearly. And I love the artwork in this one. All the classical gods, their portrayals in here are just spectacular. Jack also has a penchant for great action-packed wartime conflict. You see that here in these panels. Just exquisitely done. The devilish face on the dictator there that Pluto is posing as for Prussland is exquisitely done and gets the point across that hey look if we allow this totalitarian type of behavior to go on in this world this is what we can come to expect and thank goodness Mercury was able to come in and disrupt day and create a an atmosphere where those warring factions could ultimately be peaceful friends. Our final story in this comic is perhaps the most personal, and that is this Comet Pierce story by Jack Kirby. This Comet Pierce story also goes by the name of Race to Jupiter. It is the year 2150 AD, and this leans heavily into Jack's love of science fiction. Comet Pierce is the most successful interplanetary rocket racer. He is involved in a race to Jupiter and back. His rocket is sabotaged by his opponent, jort crashing onto an alien world the unconscious comet pierce is rescued by mysterious woman and nursed back to health this mysterious woman admits that she loves him and after kissing him she and her alien companion disappear she actually leaves pierce with a better rocket than he previously had she's put a special engine in this rocket that allows him To win the race and not only allows him to win the race to Jupiter, but literally lap his opponents. It's just crazy. After having this technology winning the race, he decides to track down that woman, his savior, and he returns to the planet that it crashed on and is provided with the woman's location by one of the aliens that was accompanying the woman. After he tracks her down, Comet tells her that he figured out that she is Queen Larina of Martian Zaranthus, who is in a rebellion to remove Golak, a traitor who took over her planet. He, in turn, pledges to aid her in her rebellion. This comic story is Fantastic in that it displays the varied and diverse talents of a young Jack Kirby all in a single story across multiple panels. You get the sci fi in here, his love of science fiction, racing in here, which is really, really fun. You have a monster story because when he crash lands on this planet, there is this slinky, worm-like creature with a single eye that comes out and that is going to attack the rocket that has crashed there. And it's intercepted by this person in a red spacesuit who blows this worm to bits. Well, that happens to have been the mysterious woman that essentially saved his life from this worm consuming himself in his own rocket. The use of primary colors is very apparent in this one. Lots of blues, reds, yellows, and then, of course, greens thrown in there, which is indicative of many Golden Age comics. But Jack uses them to very good effect. What's also on prominent display here is since Jack did his own inkings, his pencilings and detail are very well preserved. And that really does his art such a wonderful service. He really took care of himself in this comic to show off what he could do. The interplanetary adventure here the drawing of the aliens quintessential kirby you would go on to see some of this work when he would do monster comics later in the 50s it's just full of kirby goodness and frankly was my favorite story of the three this comet pierce story and his race to jupiter it spoke to me it said i'm jack kirby this is personal Let me show you my loves, my passions of the things that really interest me. Although the Mercury story was fun and would foreshadow Jack's love of mythology and legends and building worlds with gods and things of that nature, Mercury in the 20th century was indeed a fun romp. It did play to also Jack's political sensitivities at the time too, particularly being against... Nazi regime in Germany and what was going on over in Europe. But at the end of the day, I think the most personal of these stories was definitely this Comet Pierce story and the race to Jupiter. So with that, kids, we would love to hear from you once you have read Red Raven number one from August of 1940. Please leave a message via the Anchor app or send us an email at kirbyskidspodcast at gmail.com. And we hope you continue to follow along and read along with us during Jack Kirby Month here on Kirby's Kids. Coming up will be the Jack Kirby Omnibus from DC. In addition to that, we will be doing a Challengers of the Unknown issue. We will also be doing a Sandman profile of that comic that he and Joe Simon would reintroduce during the Bronze Age of comics in the 70s and delve into Jack Kirby's take of 2001 A Space Odyssey and then wrap it up with a Kirby's roundtable review and discussion of The Eternals We hope you can join us for Jack Kirby Month here on Kirby's Kids Whatever I put in my comics I hopefully hopefully feel feel That this love of people may have been transmitted to them and help them in. Not help them in any way, I'm not a psychiatrist, but just giving them another friend.